0: For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Happy Hump Day, everybody, and welcome back. To the fall sessions. This is the fifth episode within this series. And today, Aaron and myself, we're going to be talking about hunting gear and equipment. And uh, I know I, I talk all about that on the hunting gear podcast, but it all kind of ties in together. And I wanted to get his opinion. I wanted to take a couple deep dives into things like arrow weight and uh, what they're, what you're looking for in a bow, and uh, some of the more important topics uh, when talking about your bow, your arrows, your accessories. Not necessarily things like camo pattern or you know boots or things like that, but more into the actual what makes bow hunting bow hunting uh, from a gear uh, perspective. So that's what uh, we're talking about today. Um. let's see kind of a recap I have not done other than eScout I have not done anything uh, as far as uh, deer related topics I got my lumber delivered today I'm going to be working on my deck this upcoming weekend uh, some honeydew stuff I got to knock out but I've had back to back weekends of baseball tournaments and so uh, I will be working at home and plan on staying as home at home as much as possible this weekend in order to get this deck done so that by the time uh, state baseball rolls around that's a big ordeal we got some more uh, we don't have any more tournaments other than the state tournament and Jesus man I just remember when I was a kid baseball was in the summer Uh, springtime was what was springtime? But uh, summer fall was football winter was basketball or wrestling and sp- spring was just a very short period of time before baseball started I don't even like I don't even remember playing soccer when I was a kid but now with these club teams man if you're not in it right now you don't have a chance of playing ball in the, the area that I in the area of the state that I live if you're not in a club team and your kid is not playing baseball You know throughout the entire summer and like we're playing 26 games of baseball plus four tournaments this uh this year and so that is um that is absurd to me but it's that's really the only option other than t-ball so there's these very small these small towns have up until a certain point but then when your kid gets good enough there's nothing above that and so the next step is these club teams and I'm telling you right now, the politics in this is absolutely ridiculous, especially for baseball. I didn't I didn't encounter it at all during football, haven't encountered it at the community level uh with other baseball or or soccer, but at baseball man, holy cow, parents are just vicious. You know, tell oh throwing like that we were at one tournament, and not one, but four parents got kicked out of one tournament for arguing with the ref. So, whatever, uh, floats your boat, I guess. It, it's 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 uh, it's new to me. I'm trying to learn it and navigate it. And uh, I know I I got some other buddies who have some kids who have already gone through it. And so, uh, it's interesting to hear them say, "Yeah, yep, yeah, you're you're gonna have that." So. Uh, my daughter went to a wrestling tournament. It was called a Wrestle Like a Girl tournament in uh, Coralville, Iowa. It's pretty close to where we live. And uh, I feel so bad for her. I said to her, hey, do you want to go wrestle in this tournament? You are going to be wrestling some really tough girls. And she said, yes, let's go do it. And I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yes. And we get there. and we're uh, She weighs in. And she weighs in at... pounds and so that 0.3 pounds puts her into the next category that goes 70 to 75 pounds and no big deal we've wrestled girls that were heavier than her before and she did okay so I I pull up the bracket of who she's going to be wrestling that day and I was looking for the match numbers so the um, so I know when and what match she needs to be on at what time and she taps on one of the girls' names in, tra- in this uh, program called Track Wrestling. And one of the girls was 80 and 7. 80 and 7. And my daughter was 3 and 3. And so I looked at this and I was just like, uh-oh. And so she spent the rest of the day all five matches. She She made improvements. During each match, which was great to see, but they all ended in the worst possible way, and that was getting pinned, uh, and she was very upset to the point where, like, I don't know if I want—I don't know if she's going to continue wrestling, and that's a disappointment because she she has the she has the ability to be tough, and so as a child or as a as a, a father, I'm trying to balance how hard to push my kids on this and, and when to let them ride. But it's hard when they want to go into a scenario. You, you want to, you want to encourage them to go do that. These things that they love, but maybe try to find the right tournaments or the right uh, level to get them in because she got worked really hard all five of her matches. And so uh, anyway, the the moral of the story is i uh, um, that wrestling is hard and she knows that now and she knows what she needs to do if she wants to uh, keep going and get better. Uh, other than that, good, good episode today. Hopefully you guys enjoy the, uh, my boring life. Hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast. Uh, Aaron and I BS it out real good. Uh, and other than that, man, oh crap, I almost forgot how I actually get paid. And that is by doing these commercials for you. So uh, right now we're going to talk about four companies quick today. We're going to talk about Tethered. If you are guys are looking for a saddle, if you guys are looking for accessories, platforms, if you're looking for climbing sticks, saddle, uh, Tethered is the one-stop shop for you guys along with all of that gear and equipment, a very high quality by the way, they have created this community. And within this community, there is a bunch of knowledgeable people, not only from the the, uh, the, the saddle hunting part of it they can teach you tips and tricks and modifications and things that you can do to you know cut the learning curve when it comes to, uh, saddle hunting but just some really great people who love deer hunting just like we all do so uh, go check out tetherednation.com and uh, check out all of the uh, all of the products that they offer uh, next on the list we have wasp archery again in my opinion it is the heavy metal of broadheads uh, I, I love the design i love the materials that they they use if you haven't had the opportunity go back and listen to a hunting gear podcast I did with Fred Dougherty a while ago and he breaks wasp down entirely for for us in that podcast uh, the materials are the best of the best the design is the best of the best and a majority of their heads are still made within the United States so that's a very big win you know if you want to go if you want to support uh, an American company go support wasp outside of that i just feel confident using their heads man and i know that whenever i put a broadhead into a deer it's going to do a lot of damage whether it's a you know a broadside double lung or it's a marginal quartering towards or away shot that where you just kind of hope everything works out the, the right way and uh man my success of finding the deer after I shoot it, whether it's a, a dead nut shot or whether it's a, a marginal shot, is just goes up with Wasp. So, uh, lots of destruction there. Wasparchery.com discount code NFC20 for 20% off. NFC20 for 20% off. Uh, next on the list, we have Vortex Optics. Uh, at, like I'm getting ready to go up to Vortex next week and, uh, I'm going to be eating some steaks with the, with the guys. I'm going to be drinking some old fashions. Wisconsin does it a little bit different, but I'm going to be drinking some old fashions. I'm going to be recording some podcasts. I'm going to be learning about some of the new equipment that these guys are binos and, uh, stuff that these guys are putting out. And then after that, uh, just try to record as much content and then come home and, and be a dad again. So, uh, Spending one night up there at Vortex. If uh I don't know, if you see me driving down the interstate honk and I'll wave. Uh let's see, vortexoptics.com. So if you're looking for uh, binos, if you're looking for uh you know, they have the new Triumph HD, that thing's badass. Uh, So go take a look at that. Make sure that you guys check check out their social feeds. Make sure you check out their podcast. Make sure you check out uh, a whole bunch of stuff from Tethered, or excuse me, from Wah. Gee, many Christmas, I'm going dumb. From Vortex, make sure you check all of it out because they're introducing new stuff all the time. Uh, They have the VIP warranty. You break it, eat it, poop it out, smash it, put it in a box, send it back to them. They will fix it for free and then send it back to you. So, uh, VIP, warranty, uh, vortexoptics.com. And last but not least, Hunt Stand. Uh, due to its e scouting time, right? And because I'm busy with all the all this kid activity, I'm e scouting. And the best way to do that is with some of the best digital imagery that there is in a hunting app, and uh, a variety of digital imagery uh, on a hunting app, and that's Hunt Stand. And so, I love just cruising you know hunt stand looking for the landowners looking for the access routes looking for uh, pinch points looking for parking you know looking for camp you know camping areas looking for water on some of my western hunts and uh, then you just you know you just sit there and you you analyze where you think a stand would go and then the best way to access it on specific wind directions and so that's what I that's what I'm doing right now with Hunt Stand. So if you want to read up on all the all the functionality Hunt Stand offers, please go and visit huntstand.com and while you're there check out the Pro Whitetail platform. And that is the commercials, ladies and gentlemen. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen. I really appreciate you guys listening to the uh, listening to the commercials. Because that's how I get paid. Please go and support the companies that support this podcast. And uh, man, we got to remember the good vibes, right? So uh, let's get into today's episode. Three, two, one. All right. This is the fifth installment of the Fall Sessions right here on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And I'm back with Aaron, the host of the Fall Podcast. That's why we're calling it the Fall Sessions. So um, how you been, dude? good
1: man good uh good long weekend um went to the lake had some fun went to a uh, niece's birthday party and now here we are it's tack week here in Michigan so total total archery challenge you know as we're recording this is going to happen in two days so i'll be heading up north for that and uh it's gonna be a lot of fun man
0: awesome all right um you love baseball right i do yeah actually let me back up i've never been to a tack event what's it like is it is it worth going to at least one in your life
1: 100 percent. i've been um three or four now i think um but it's it's a lot of fun as far as like every year it gets bigger i feel like and i've only been to the michigan one but yeah there's so many like-minded people and the cool thing about it is you don't even have to go shoot like there's a whole bunch of vendors there so you can go walk around their vendors and and just kind of you know talk to whoever might be there. Yeah. Exodus might be there or Latitude or Hoyt or yeah. wh- whoever, you know? Yeah. Um, And you can, a lot of those people are running show specials too. So you can buy stuff there, but I'll tell you what, even if you want to go and just uh, register and shoot like the practice mm-hmm. range and stuff like that, it's a lot of fun. I will say, you know, I've done, I think I've done three now. I will say it's like, the nostalgia just kind of wore off for me. Like going up there this weekend, I, I work for Latitude, so yeah. I'll be working the booth. Like I really don't care if I shoot or not. Like yeah. it's just, it's not something I'm like, oh, I gotta go do it. Like yeah. for me, I've been there, I've, I've shot the courses. Now I'm like, ah, I just kind of want to go and and hang out with the people. You know what I mean? And right. just kind of in talk. So, right, right, that's where I'm at.
0: Yeah, I've I've put some thought into going to one one of the closer ones here. And, uh, I think the closest one is either in, man, it's going to be, I think the Michigan one is probably one of the closest ones for me. Really? Yeah. I don't even know where they have their events these days, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it it seems like fun, but I'll be honest. If someone said to me, Hey, all expense paid to a attack event, I would probably just go to watch and hang because I, my bow needs a new string, and I am not. I haven't even. I'm not even close to getting it set up. So I need to take it into the shop, get a new string put on it, and then start shooting again. So,
1: for sure, I, it's one thing that I think everybody should do at least once, and then just kind of you know, if you want to do more, then do more. But it, it is a good event. It is really cool, and and like I said, up in Michigan, there's going to be other podcasters there, but there's going to be a lot of like you know I'm in Michigan, so that's where my core listener group mm-hmm. is. So that's what a lot of people like to. To hang out, come by the booth and talk, and you know, kind of meet us and and get to know us. And then I'm going to be doing some podcasts up there too. So I also look at it as like a way to get content done, you yep. know, and maybe get four or five podcasts in the in the bank. So yep. I look at for I look at it that way now.
0: Yep, absolutely. All right, so now baseball. All right,
1: yeah.
0: Um, our little league team, man, we got in the last week we played a game, I believe on Wednesday. Then we had, no, no. Yeah. A game on Wednesday. Then we had a tournament where we played three games. Uh, uh, So that's four games in like a four day, four or five day period. And so what's cool is that our team is starting to come out of its shell. Um, Some of the kids anyway. And so, like my son is one of them. He was he was uh, not doing very well right at the beginning, but now he's comfortable in the batter's box, and so now he's starting to hit. Uh, same thing. We had one kid who's a, like I feel if any kid's gonna put one over the fence this year as an eight year old, it's gonna oh, be cow. it's gonna be this kid, and so um, he's starting to swing the bat and he's feeling comfortable in the in the box, and so we had. Um, have you ever seen the movie Moneyball? With Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. Yep. Love it. And so that whole entire movie is based off of Sabermetrics, the, um, you know, the statistical, you know, um, long story short, if you haven't seen the movie, what's what um, Sabermetrics is, is a guy came up and he's putting together a baseball team based off of nothing but statistics, not, hey, how's this guy look? You know, how hard of a worker is he? It it's, has nothing to do with, like, a gut feeling. It's all 100% based off of statistics. And so, um, you know, I I'm, I hope nobody who is on the team listens to this, but our top three batters in the order were were number one and number two in strikeouts. And so I looked up how to calculate and how to make a batting order based off of sab- Sabermetrics. And and so now, hopefully, coming out of this tournament, the next tournament, uh, and this is not up to me, it's up to the coach. I, I'm an assistant, so I put it together. And hopefully, we can get some of our better kids, uh, better hitters, uh, and kids with better on-base percentage higher up in the... Because our I think our eighth batter has like a six eighty five on base percentage so he's either hitting or he's getting walked and he he has like a four something batting average right now and so uh but he was eight I'm like we want this kid at, to to be on base as much as humanly possible or to be at bat as much yeah. as humanly possible so um so our team played really well this weekend uh we had an example where the kid the kid with the most strikeouts was the last batter of the game with people in running position. And so it didn't work out, but we played awesome uh, this, this weekend. We, we lost to some really good teams. We beat a, a, a an okay team. And so uh, anyway, baseball, I'm, I'm starting to fall back in love with baseball and just like the statistics of it. Like I, I love looking mm-hmm. at batting average and digging into hey, how this guy get on base or how did, how, what's his yep. slugging percentage and things like that.
1: No, I agree, and that's that's why I love baseball. Like you, you know, we're big Detroit Tigers fans. So like when we go to a game, I'm the guy that still to this day I'll have I'll buy a uh, the book. You yep. know that you can keep the score and everything, and I write the scores in and all that in the games. And um, you know to kind of go back to your point about like you have a kid lower in the batting average. Now this is not gonna like really. Mean much when they're that young, but when you start getting into like varsity baseball and mm-hmm. and in, in high school, then into college, you know typically hitters later in the lineup are going to see more fastballs. Yeah. Um. So like you might have a kid that might be hitting seven, eight, or nine that has a really good on base percentage or average because typically they're going to see more fastballs lower in the lineup, and then also you can hide kids, you can hide guys behind hitters. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And typically the rule of thumb is your third hitter is your best hitter on your team, typically, you know. Um, So it's – that whole side of things is really cool. And then for me watching a game, like I love – dissecting counts like this guy's like when i watch a game on tv it's like it's a you know one and two count like what what's this pitcher gonna throw yeah. you know what would i throw where would i and i like to try to validate my thought process and what that pitcher does yep. so i i just love baseball man oh, it yeah. makes you think constantly yeah and that's what i love about it
0: and these kids they get so worked up they get so worked oh, up yeah. when they strike out um or they you know they make an error or something like that and it's yeah. strikeouts mostly but you know, we you got a kid that's batting 500. No, actually, he's batting like uh, 790 this year on our team. So he's almost automatic. Wow. He's almost automatic. And he'll cry when I'm like, and so we, are, we, we go with the, dude, you would be in the Hall of Fame if you had, you would hold all the records if you had this batting average in the major leagues Mm -hmm. and hopefully that motivates him or at least tells him to stop crying. I I, I didn't realize until this year coaching kids that it is necessary as a baseball player to have a very short memory and be able to get over whatever problem you just had so that the next pitch you're back on point.
1: Yep. A hundred percent. And like, you know, the whole adage and the whole saying goes, it's like, you know, in baseball, you can fail 70% of the time, and you, you'll you probably be a Hall of Famer. Exactly. You know, anybody that hits around 300 as a career. I mean, I was looking at stats the other night just because I was going down a rabbit hole, but Tony Gwynn. Mm-hmm. Tony Gwynn is arguably one of the best hitters to ever play Period. the game. Yeah. His career batting average was like three thirty three, like yeah. something like that, career. And I'm yeah. like, that is ridiculous. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's him almost failing 70% of the time. Yeah. And he's the, he, you know, considered the best hitter ever.
0: Yeah. And he's got, wow. what, what's he's got, like 4,000 hits or something like that? 4, I don't plus. think he's,
1: uh, I don't know if he's got four. He's got at least 3,000, I yeah. think. I, I don't know what he has for total hits. Yeah.
0: yeah. Stud. I. But in the whitetail world, if you throw, if you say I'm only going to be successful, well, for me, being successful 33 percent of the time would mean that I only shoot three bucks every 10 years. And to me, that's not good. Like, that's not good. But based off of tag filling statistics, that's a, like, I I think what's the success rate for some of these elk draws out or for some of these uh, elk and deer hunts across the nation, it's like 10% like success rate on, on some of these tag filling. Some of these tags is 10%.
1: So yeah, something like that. if
0: you compare it to that then uh, then, you, then you're doing pretty good.
1: Yeah, so right here I'm looking at Tony Gwynn's stats. He was a 338 career hitter. He had 3,141 hits. So for anybody that's not a baseball person, if you can reach 3,000 hits in the major leagues, that is like astronomical. Not yeah. everybody does that. There's mm-hmm. a fraction of people that do that. So Who
0: who's uh who's above him? Do you have that in front of you?
1: I'm going to say Pete Rose is probably. He's number one. Above him. Yeah. Um, let me look.
0: Of course, for those who are listening, we are going on a huge, uh, down a huge rabbit hole right now that has nothing yeah. to do with white tails <laughs>
1: uh, Actually. So there's a lot of people or not. I shouldn't say a lot, but there's a quite a few people ahead of him. So Pete Rose has 4,200. Hits he's got the most. Then Ty Cobb, forty-one, four thousand one hundred eighty-nine. Hank Aaron, Stan Musial, uh trish Speaker, Derek Jeter's got three thousand four hundred. Honus Wagner, Carl Yastrzemski, Uscrim, Albert Pujols, Paul Mollander You know you got. They're
0: all over three thousand. Yes. Yeah, okay. So
1: where the line stops is Roberto Clemente had three thousand. He was number thirty-three on the list. And uh, Tony Gwynn's number 21. Uh So, I mean, Pete Rose arguably is probably the best hitter, but obviously there's an asterisk by his name because of his gambling stuff. But, I mean, God, 4,256 hits, Dan. That's ridiculous.
0: Man, and that's – I mean, let the dude in the Hall of Fame, man. I mean, he didn't gamble. He didn't throw any games. He gambled on his own team. Yeah. So, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> you have you have some information about deer teeth and uh, aging aging deer. I want to hear this story.
1: This is hot off the press. Dave. Okay, I mean, hot. literally, I just got this right before we get on this call, and so you know that like aging deer is always you know in, in the in the world of whitetails, mm-hmm. like aging deer. I feel like is like way up there. Yep. You know, like, and I, I fall in this bucket, too, as far as, you know, people like, oh, that was a mature buck. Mm-hmm. That, he, he's, he's four years old, five years old, mm-hmm. six years old. I'm here to tell you, and this might be a hot take, and I don't think, unless you have pictures of you a deer that has a notch in his ear or whatnot, I don't think anybody has an idea of what age is unless you have unless you literally watch that deer grow up mm-hmm. with with some sort of marking mm-hmm. and the reason being okay so i just i sent three sets of teeth into deer age okay and i just got them back now i shot in 2021 i shot a deer in illinois and i'm, I'm gonna give you some weights because i i have all the weights and everything on these deer so okay um this deer weighed let me look at this real quick he weighed 200 250 pounds on the hook okay we're talking about central illinois deer he scored 145 he grossed at 145 he was a 10 point great looking deer um but you know when you look at him it's like what i thought he was a four-year-old for sure thought he was a four-year-old comes back to three and a half okay and I'm like, right there, like he is in those three and a half to four and a half year old deer are very hard to like, like, that's the line for mm-hmm. me to be like, man, he could be three, he could be four or whatnot. I thought he was four, you know, with, with all of his, you know, features and everything. And he weighed 250 pounds. It's a big deer and everything. I'm like, oh, he came back at three and a half. So that was one thing. Uh, the next one, Ohio, I shot one in 2021, Ohio. He was a He scored 170 as a typical 10, okay, as uh, Grove scored. And he weighed 240 pounds on the hoof. He was 11 point. He had some great mass, um, big deer, came back at four and a half, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, I figured he was four, thought he might be five, but I figured he was at least going to be four. So that one really didn't surprise me too much. So the one that surprised me was this one. Last year I shot a buck in Michigan he scored 132 gross but he had two broken brows Mm -hmm. and i figured if you i figured he'd be a low 140s deer because you could tell they were completely broken so this deer weighed 220 pounds on the hoof gross scored 132 as is this deer was a big deer Mm -hmm. this deer's got great mass and i try not to look at the antlers and the mass and stuff like that and try to discern an age from that like it's just I try to look at their chest, their body, all that stuff. This deer is one of the bigger deer that I've seen in this area, body wise and everything, and especially antler wise. And he came back at three and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was a little I was a little uh, little ups, not upset, mm-hmm. but I was like, man, that told me right there that like we just don't know. We do not know because you see, I'm, I'm telling you, Dan, if you would have saw this deer in a bean field or in a field of hunting in Michigan or whatever, you'd be like, gotta be a four-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, like it looks like a four-year-old. He just, he, he just did. Yeah. And he's three and a half. And I'm like, you know, I hear a lot of guys saying, you know, especially Michigan guys saying like they think that there's more four-year-olds than we actually think. I think you're wrong mm-hmm. in my area. I, I, I literally you could have put a gun to my head and be like this is near four yeah you know um so I was a little little a little upset about that you know what I mean because yeah. it's like you work so hard and you're trying to kill and he was a top ten percent of the bucks that I have an opportunity at but I'm like what do I gotta do to get a four year old yeah you know what I mean um, yeah. yeah I just don't think they're I just don't think they're as prevalent around here as people think
0: so I have in my office here I have uh who's that artist what's his name uh Ryan Kirby Kirby. yep I have the you might you might have it too the poster of a one and a half year old next to a two-year-old and it then it kind of breaks down all their characteristics right of and I think he got some of that stuff from the the NDA okay so I'm looking at I'm looking at it and There is very little, there's very little difference between a three year old and a four year old from, Mm -hmm. from just body size. Right now you, you take, you take it even a step further into a five year old category. And I'm just basing this right off the, the artwork here. Maybe there's a little bit more sway in the back. Maybe the gut is a little bigger, but then again, I've seen. I've seen a hundred, I'm assuming he's a five or a six year old, huge body, no antlers, right? A 120, 125 inch, a 10 pointer, right? And so just like humans, there's so many different variables into how big they get based off of their diet. You know, um, if you're going to base it strictly off teeth wear, what about uh, a deer that eats a ton of grass and clover and not necessarily acorns or, or you know, corn, shell corn? Mm-hmm. And so, so if you have uh, just a softer uh, food that these deer are eating throughout the entire year, their teeth aren't going to wear as much. If you got a deer who he only eats corn and he only eats acorns throughout the year and he, you know, he's heavy into that. Then his teeth are going to be way more worn down than, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, uh, a deer that only eats grass, or you know, because they have favorites. You know, they they're going to go to what what's plentiful at that year. And in states like, uh, let's just say, South Dakota, Nebraska, on the western side of the Missouri River, they those deer are eating a lot of grass, and so yeah. their body size will never be as big as a. a as a, a deer here in the Midwest that has all that starch corn and things like that, so there's so many there's so many variables that and, and to top it all off genetics and like I told you on the shipwreck episode on your podcast, shipwreck was it eight nine, you know he was he was eight nine ten years old when he, he was ten years old when he was shot, and I have documentation of almost every single year and. Sam Calora, the guy who shot him, he is a deer breeder, so he knows about deer. He says he's probably a 10-year-old buck, okay? He weighed, I want to say, between 200 and 225 pounds, okay? And so, genetically, he was a small-bodied deer. And if you would have taken the rack off of him and put a a 120-inch rack on him, This deer is now not getting looked at at all because it just, he has a small body. He had some characteristics of an older deer, but just in a smaller package. And so, yeah, unless I agree with you 100%, like even me, I say, oh, the deer downstairs are four years old, or this one's a two-year-old, or this one's a five or six-year-old. Nobody really knows. I mean, nope. I don't have trail camera pictures of multiple years of, of, you know, like three or four years of all those deer. So it's a guess. And that's what everybody's doing is they're they're taking their best guess. And yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, that deer I was talking about, the Michigan deer. I should grab him real quick. I got him right here. But um, a buddy of mine hunts a, a farm close to where I shot him and actually found that deer shed uh the year before i killed him mm-hmm. and I, he gave me the shed and the shed to me screams a three-year-old mm-hmm. like just by the antlers mm-hmm. okay now I, I and i just told you a little bit ago i try not to look at the antlers and and judge a deer off age on that but when you look at like a three-year-old what people say they're three-year-olds and i look at that shed i'm like man that's a three-year-old yeah. and then i look at his antlers now as they're sitting there i'm like hey he's a four-year-old like yeah you know as as a skull captain like he's got great mass and so it was a little little upsetting but it was also to the point where i'm just like it just reiterates the fact like it doesn't matter the size of the antlers you just don't know you don't know. like you 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 don't know unless you've seen that deer grow up Mm -hmm. you know
0: yep absolutely um i'm looking at a pair of sheds right now in my office that i found like in 2009 eight or nine so a long time ago and I'm telling you the pedicles on that thing are the size of maybe a quarter or like somewhere in between a a nickel and a quarter, okay? And I would say it's a, there's no brows on them, just little bumps for brows. But we're looking at 115 inch, I guess it would be an eight because they're just little bumps for brows. But with the pedicles that are very tiny. And so, I look at that and I go, that deer genetically is gifted because that's, the pedicle size is like a a one-year-old or a two-year-old. So Mm -hmm. potentially the first set of antlers that this buck ever grew was 115 inches, 110 inches. It's nuts.
1: Yeah. And that, that, so that'll be, that'll be another thing. The first buck I shot this year, girl scored at 111 Mm -hmm. and he's got like a seven inch, like double main beam okay so um you know not really massive not, i honestly think he's probably a two-year old i had a little ground shrinkage when i grew when i walked up to him i thought he was a year older bigger than i thought but i wasn't you know i was i was happy with the deer i'd shoot the deer again honestly yeah. but i'm gonna send his teeth in and i'm gonna be really interested to see if he comes back at a year and a half mm-hmm. because if he does that means the same thing as like that deer's First rack, he's mid teens and grew a double main beam. You know what I mean. I I gotta imagine he's gonna be at least a two year old, but I could be completely wrong. That deer could be three. Yeah. You know. Um. And if that's the case, geez, I I have have no clue how much (laughs) deer.
0: Yeah. So it's one of those things where I I I always say I'm going for a four year old, but Mm -hmm. when you when you really boil it down and break it down, like. I'm going for a deer that at that exact moment looks good enough for me to shoot. And that yeah. has to do with body size and antler size. It's not a hundred percent based off of uh body. So, Amen. Uh, you know, even I'm, I guess I'm a little bit of a hypocrite.
1: Yeah. I think we all are. Yeah. And, and you know, how many times do you, uh, after a set, you talk to a buddy, it's like, man, I saw he's a big deer, man. I, he's probably four year old. And I'm like, really, you got to check yourself. Like, yeah, is he though? <laughs> like, yeah. Is he?
0: And one thing, uh, here's another uh, interesting thing. So you see a doe group come out and they just look really lean and they, they, you know, some, even a mature doe doesn't carry the body weight. Like, uh, any buck will you take, a mm-hmm. uh, uh, what I'm gonna guess is a mature doe. They come through, and a a spike, a yearling or a two-year-old comes through. They're bigger already than a than the oldest mature doe. They're already yeah. bigger, so they stand next to the side, and it gives you a little perspective, and just to say, geez, man, it's so hard to tell what you know what's accurate. Hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and by the way, I had a buddy during shotgun season one year. They did a deer drive, and he shot a spike, and it weighed two, two, fifty or two seventy. A spike, spike buck, yearling, two year old wow. or something like that. Gigantic body.
1: <laughs> wow. It was nuts. Yeah. yeah, the day the days of two hundred pound deer, like for Michigan, I'm gonna speak Michigan. Yeah. Like back in the day when we when you'd get a uh, somebody killed a two hundred pound deer like on the hoof, it's like wow. Yeah. That's a big deer now. Dude, I, I, I would have to, like, I weigh all my deer. I would have to say in the last four or five years, the deer I've killed in Michigan have all been over 200 pounds and respectively like 250, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's just the way it is now.
0: So I will say this in 2012, I think that if I had to, if I had to guess what the outcomes would be based off of me sending things in. I'm guessing the deer I shot in 2012 is going to potentially be 2012 or 2018. But I think it's going to be 2012. That deer had, I was at the time probably 240, 240 pounds. And I'm sitting behind this thing and just took two guys to the amount of time it took to, and I never officially weighed it. But I, I'm, I I'm confident that deer was over 300 pounds mm. and so to this day that deer was the biggest bodied animal that I'd, I'd ever I'd ever shot and that like 300 pounds is huge it, it made That's me look giant. small in the picture so giant yeah and I shot him in the nostril and the arrow went down his throat and <laughs> it, I don't know if you ever saw that video but it went down the throat and a blade. just opened up his neck and it hit its carotid and he just was, or his jugular and it just, he was over in like 60. It was, it was like murder scene. It was gnarly. It was gnarly. And that was that chest shot that we talked about in the last episode, but he followed, he saw my bottom Mm. stick. He followed it up. And right as I released the arrow, pulled the trigger on the release, he dropped, but his head stayed up looking at me. And so instead of hitting him in the chest, I hit him in his nose. But his head was up, so he he basically swallowed the arrow. It was oh it was insane. And <laughs> uh, you know I don't want to brag about bad shots, but I mean he died he died really quickly.
1: Oh, well, you hit that artery.
0: They're yep. gonna, they're gonna die quick. His his uh, artery, his throat, his like so everything just tore tore him up, and uh, he didn't last too long. So. Um, all right, anything else about the the age of those deer before we move on?
1: no man I, right. I that's all I really wanted to share
0: All right perfect. that was interesting now the re- remainder of this you know we've been bsing here for 30 minutes and and it's kind of good that we did because I don't see the rest of this conversation lasting too terribly long but hell it could because we're kind of gear nerds ourselves mm-hmm. we've we've talked about let's see let's kind of recover what we uh, cover what we've talked about we've talked about um terrain how deer move through terrain yep uh we've talked about mature deer mature deer yep Yep. and and mature deer behavior
1: yep moment of truth
0: moment of truth okay and a whole bunch of other things that revolve around how deer use terrain uh how mature deer are different from young deer and then the moment of truth And, and and now so we're in the moment of truth right and for me, and I'm I'm guessing you're gonna agree, that the moment of truth becomes less of an issue when you're confident in your equipment. I for know sure. it, I know it does for me. I'm not if I'm not thinking. The best quote I ever heard from someone was, "If you're not thinking about your gear when you're out hunting, your you have the right gear." For example, when I go out west, I know my boots are great and working the way I should want them to because I'm not thinking about my feet and I'm not thinking about my boots. I'm just going. And so yep. let me, let me ask you kind of a question when it comes to your gear, how do you make your decisions on, on what to purchase?
1: Well, this, honestly, this happened, um, by a lot of trial and error mm-hmm. and a lot of following thinking i needed to follow trends back mm-hmm. in the day mm-hmm. like the trend thing really got the trend bug really hit me around 2010 11 12 13 in those areas dude i was buying a new bow in like middle of october november mm-hmm. and putting new a new rest on it new arrows new broadheads new because i saw someone else doing it yeah. and that couldn't have been like it was the worst thing to do you know so um and i struggle like 2011 12 or 10 and 11 i struggled mightily just because i didn't have confidence in yeah. my gear yeah. and honestly now that i've gotten a little more mature and everything and when i'm going into something or thinking about something like i there's a lot of things i take into consideration but the one thing is how how do i have to or how can i use this piece of gear and not have to worry about it is my first and first first thing like you know i switched to fixed blade broadheads two years ago i don't want to have to worry about it i want to be able to put it on there and it's going to perform and that's what it does you know um the other thing is like i've went as far as you know i use a qad uh rest Mm -hmm. okay and a lot of people me included i used to tie the cord just right on the cable Mm -hmm. now i use the clamp and everybody's like, why do you use a clamp? That thing looks so stupid and everything. And I'm like, well, when you really think about it, it's really functional and I can fix it in the field if I need to. Yep. And, you know, instead of having a press to be able to spread your string and put a little loop through there and tie it, why not use the clamp? Yep. You know what I mean? So it's little things like that. Um, like right now I'm trying to buy a, I'm trying to find a quiver, the right quiver for the side of my bump. And it's like, I've been thinking about this for three weeks. What mm-hmm. one do I want to get? Because it's got to it's got to have some functionality, but it's also got to be able to do what I need it to do. Yeah. Um. So when I'm when I'm purchasing things, it's got to be perform where I don't have to think about it, man. And it's I just know it's going to be there. It's like a point guard and a shooting guard. Yeah. You know they're going to be there even if you don't see it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I I don't know how many times I've talked about this, but just like <laughs> falling for the marketing. I was that guy too, man. I was like, "Oh, did you see this new bow? I it it says it's great. I got to do it. Oh, I need Sitka. Oh, look at everybody's got Sitka. I need Sitka. Oh, look at everybody's got First Light. I need I need dude, I need some First Light. Or I need this and I need or whatever. And you enter popular brand and I was the kind of guy Except for broadheads, really. Except for broadheads, you enter in the name of the brand, and like I remember when uh, Elite first came out, and how their bows were supposed to be so different and awesome and things like that. And I started shooting them, and, and and yeah, they were good, but I I really wasn't making the the decisions on what I was shooting or my equipment based off of my personal needs. I was doing it because other people were uh were saying how awesome it was. And mm-hmm. so I it 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 took me a handful of years. I would say somewhere around the two thousand and six, seventeen, eighteen time frame is when I started to just kind of step away and go, what works best for you? And that's when I started really focusing on like my arrow setup and where I was hunting, how I was hunting. Um Like I, I personally am not a huge, like I like camo. Don't get me wrong. I think there's certain, you know, camo works great in certain situations, but I am more interested in what the gear will do for me as far as make me comfortable and keep me uh, comfortable in the woods. Not necessarily what the pattern is doing. I just, I, I honestly don't think, uh, uh, Camo plays as big as a a role to us as we think it does.
1: I agree, and you know I'm a Sika wearer, yeah. and I want and I want to kind of go down this road too because Sika is you know it's the Lululemon of the hunting community, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, for me for Sika, I oh have by the that. way, by the
0: way, that is like. Not the toughest comparison, right? If you want to be like, no, yeah, what's tough? Uh, well, you're the Lululemon of hunting equipment. Yeah.
1: So well, like... it, 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 really, it probably is, you know, because how priced it is, right? And and, and I won't. It's wear quality. Anything. It's quality. It, it's it, that's the thing, yeah. and I, I, the kind of I guess the point I'm looking or getting across is, you know, I don't wear it because X guy wears it. Mm. I wear it because there's a couple things in my buying process. When I go to Sika's website, I can filter and say whitetail and it tells me what I need to buy. Yep. I'm the type of guy that I'll do research, but I want to know from the people that are building this, what is going to work best for me? Mm-hmm. Get me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, so I like that whole process, but also they have, they have, um, whatchamacallit, like uh they have kits basically. They yeah. have a they have a big game kit, they have a turkey kit, they have a whitetail kit. And you know, it is marketing and everything, but I'm like, I can go in that whitetail section and be like, yeah. That's it's a good starting point. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um and it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. And honestly, damn it, it fits like a hug. Mm-hmm. Like I love and anything that's gonna keep me in the tree longer. Yeah, I, and I'm sure First Light's the same way. I'm yeah. sure Kuyu is the same way. I'm sure whatever else is the same way. Just get with with what you want and stop bitching if somebody uses sick or First Light or something like or whatever.
0: Yep. yep. <laughs> you know. Yep. Absolutely. You know, I, I I really don't want to go down the the camo rabbit hole because it just it just becomes talking in circles, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and and just clothing in general because. I hated the marketing, so I decided to uh, branch out and start going in different directions. And so, um, like, I like how Huntworth has uh, has some solid options. And so, I'll be working with uh, Huntworth, and, and it's more affordable. Uh, and I think the quote some guy used the other day was, "It is seventy percent." Of uh, seventy or eighty percent of Sitka, as far as quality, but half the price, and mm-hmm. so and so that's working man type numbers. You know what I mean, and and uh, I'll be work. I, I I like the the fact that they have solid options and. And so I'll be working with them a little bit this year, but anyway, that that's beside the point. I think a lot of it has to do with what you're comfortable in. And there's a whole bunch out there last handful of years. I've just been wearing like Dickies or, or Mm -hmm. Carhartt pants because I go through thorns and beggars, lice and cockaburs. And that just doesn't stick to that. Like the fleece, like I have a pair of Sitka fleece, uh, pants that I don't wear anymore because beggars lice is so thick on it Mm -hmm. so I bet yeah now we've talked about mature deer right we talked about big bodied deer and so I want to talk a little bit about well I kind of want to focus on bow setup arrow setup rest sight and, and really end like because we could talk about boots, that's preference. We could talk about tree stands and saddles, that's preference. We could talk about ground blinds, that's preference. But there's a lot more science and numbers behind draw length and arrow weight and, and, and things that are technical that we could talk about yep. with that those kind of things. So when it comes to your bow, your arrow setup, maybe even some of your accessories, how are you picking that type of gear?
1: Uh, same thing, man, as, as far as like the functionality obviously has got to be there. It's got to feel good archery. And, and to me, archery is all feel yes. it is. It is, you know, when we were at ATA this last year, we were walking around and, uh, what I mean by we, David and I, and, and we picked up the Bowtech, and right when I picked it up, cause I've heard a buddy who was like, man, I shot this thing before we went to ATA. He's like, you should shoot this thing. It's really good.
0: They're carbon one. Yes. Yeah, okay.
1: I picked it up immediately right off the shelf, and I looked at David, and you can ask him this. I put it right back down. I said, don't like it. Yep. I could already tell in the grip that I would not like that bow. I didn't have to shoot it. Mm -hmm. That's just, it's all feel. Mm -hmm. From A to Z, it's got to feel good for me. Right. Um, I shot Matthews for years. I've shot PSC in the past. I've shot Tree in the past. Now I'm on to a prime. Mm -hmm. And prime, I shot their bow at 88. And now, like, so yesterday I was out shooting in the yard before tack and I was shooting at, uh, 89 yards and I text David after I was done and I'm like, man, I've never had a bow, uh, hold at long distances. Like I have this set up with my stabilizer set up and just how and how it holds Mm -hmm. i I, it it holds so well and the draw cycle on it's so good so archery for for me is is all about feel if if i can pick it up before i even shoot it and it feels good to me um and then shooting it if it's you know good on release and everything that's just a bonus to me
0: yeah
1: now that whole process it just the the thing has to be sit it and forget it kind of deal like i just got to know it's going to be there and perform yeah, And that's what I look at going into that whole process.
0: Yeah. I, um, I'm i just not a carbon bow guy. Like, I don't care what brand makes it. I just don't like the way carbon bows feel mm-hmm. in, in my hand. I'm shooting, uh, this is the third year. I made the decision a couple weeks ago that I'm not going to uh, get a new bow this year. I'm just going to replace the strings in my current bow. And it's a Bowtech... Uh, uh, solution not the SS yeah. but the yep. bowtech solution dude i love that bow it feels it feels good in my hand um i love it at full draw and that's where like you were saying i think that's the most important is you know some people will say oh my god the draw cycle just sucks on certain bows but i'm not even thinking about that the old because when a buck a deer steps out and you know you're going to shoot it or there's a bedded mule deer or an elk coming your way, whatever it is, dude. Do you think the draw cycle matters at that point, dude? You're not even thinking about. It. You're just like, wham, right? Like I'm. If it didn't have it did, if it didn't have limb stops or the ability to stop, I'd rip that the string right off the damn bow every time, right? And so, uh, I it, for me, it's all about what it feels like at full draw. And if it feels comfortable and I feel solid, that's the kind of uh, a bow that I, uh, that I like. But with that said, that the bow that I'm shooting right now has a really good draw cycle. I felt like in the past certain bows don't have that. Uh, and when f- for some reason there's a correlation with bad draw cycle and then a ton of hand shock at the end. But again, that's not something that you're thinking about when you release the arrow on a deer. It's all about right. full draw. And then you let the arrow go. Hopefully you, the forming, the practice you've done all summer has, has paid off. You, like you got a glove on or it's cold. Like, are you going, oh my God, that I just shot this deer and the hand shock on this bow was so bad. Like nobody's thinking about that at that time. Right. So.
1: I will say one thing I did. Uh, so in 2019, I shot a Matthews verdicts. loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, in 20 or 2020 I think is when they came out with the bow they called the VxR mm-hmm. so in when I the company I was with we were partnered by Matthews so we'd get Matthews bows every year but going from I'm not a big guy you know I'm like 510 185 pounds not a big guy 28 inch draw I like a 31 to a 32 inch draw that that vxr if I remember right was like a 33 inch draw mm-hmm. every time I would grab it I just felt like it was like a 35 or 36 inch bow. And I'm like, man, I just, and what they designed. Oh, you that mean, bow you
0: designed, mean AT, uh, axle to axle, axle to axle.
1: Okay. Yes. Yes, right. yes. Yep. So like, and I think they designed that bow as the riser longer. So it felt, or it, you know, the riser was longer, not the ATA, but the riser was longer. So it, it would hold better at full draw. But man, every time I'd pull that bow back, I felt like I was holding on to an eight foot two by four. Mm-hmm. Like, I just felt like it was so big. I ended up getting rid of that boat mm-hmm. and cause I did I, I didn't like it. Um, yeah. I found out that I live in that 31 to 32 inch ATA is where I need to be. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when I went with the prime Rev X, like they have different options. They have a 32, they have a, I think a 34 and a 36. I knew immediately I was going to like that 32 yep. and that's what I went with.
0: Yep. I shot a 30 inch axle to axle one year. And I liked it okay, but my accuracy is way better with a thirty-three. Like I, I yeah. feel real confident. I'm a, I'm, I'm six one. I got a thirty-inch draw length, and so that's. I just felt confident with a longer axle to axle. Um, yeah. I've never owned a Matthews bow. Really? Yep. Never, never had. And, and this is gonna sound horrible. I, have never they they trust me. They make great bows. They make great. Uh, both, but I met a guy a long time ago when I was looking for a bow, and he was a Matthews fanboy. And he acted like such a douchebag to me about all other like, dude, you gotta get a Matthews bow, you know? Just like uh, he just he made it seem gross, and, sim- yeah. and to this day it hasn't rubbed like it hasn't left me. The thought of how that guy acted. And how arrogant he was 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 just a huge turnoff, and I and I think about that every time I go bow shopping. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I so, can see that. Yeah. Um, all right. The topic of discussion that is happens a lot is arrow weight, and I'll just start off by saying, when I decided to up my arrow weight. I also saw improvements in my accuracy and I've hand shock went away uh, or Mm -hmm. was lessened. And so I love, and I don't, and I'm not talking overboard where I'm shooting a, a, you know, a 200 grain broadhead uh, or a, you know, a, a arrow weight that's like 600 something. You know, I'm not like a huge, I'm not a huge FOC guy. I'm more of a total arrow weight guy. And so when I jumped up from like 380 something to, I think I went 380 to like 4 something to now I have a, I shoot a total arrow weight. I think it's 524, 524 grains. I've noticed like that is my. That is my comfortable range. That is my confidence range. Is right there, and I don't, I don't feel. I feel like with the right head on that, like if I'm going to go elk hunting, I'd, I'd put a fixed blade or, uh, yeah, fixed blade. Whitetails and mule deer, I'm going to shoot a, I'm going to shoot a, a mechanical. But I, that is what I feel comfortable in. And so far, there's been nothing done once I moved up to that 524 range. As far as marginal shots and things like that, I'm getting pass-throughs. I'm getting deep penetration, and I, I feel very confident in that setup, so I'm going to continue to use it.
1: Yeah, and finding that comfort zone is huge. And, and Two years ago, I started playing with different arrow weights, and um, actually in 2019, I built my first like where I built them. I bought components from an ethics archery, and i you know with the i changed broadheads at that time and i just ended up being around the 470 grain Mm -hmm. and i just loved how it shot Mm -hmm. so then you know the arrow craze comes even hotter and it's like i gotta go heavier you know because 470 is the light end of a heavy arrow in my opinion it's not like even 520 or wherever you're at, like I really don't look at that as like a giant arrow, you know? Mm -hmm. When you start getting up to like 600 grains and higher, that's when I'm like, okay, that's a big arrow, you know? Um, So I I like that 470 range. Well, I I messed around with like I got a 593 arrow and then I got like a 520 and then a 470. Man, they all of them shot well, but it was more of a personal preference. When I shot that 590, I was like – I literally don't think I could have shot over 40 yards without the deer hearing it because it's just this stupid arc. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't, I can't deal with that. Like I need, I need the happy medium. 520 was a little better, but 470 is my sweet spot. It's a dart. It penetrates like a, like crazy. Mm -hmm. I shoot a 125 head, all single bevel, uh, you know, fixed blade broadhead. It is my money spot. 470 to 480 is where I'm going to live for eternity because i yeah. just i think if i want to go elk hunting i could use the same thing and just be just fine
0: yep yep and it sounds to me like our numbers are very close you add two inches onto or you know onto your arrow when i'm at 30 and you said you're 28 yeah so we're sitting yep. relatively i might be 20 or 30 grains heavier at that point but you know i also shoot uh most of the heads that i shoot i'm trying to think are yeah, are 125. So are I'm they- I'm not shooting. Uh, no wait, a 100. Excuse me. Yeah, 100, 100 grain yep. head. So, uh, and I trust I trust that that head. That's the only product really I've I've strayed away from one time, and then came back to it and still shoot it today. It's been like 13 mm-hmm. years shooting the same same style heads. Um, let's see here, arrow weight. Uh, Are you a three-fletch or a four-fletch guy?
1: Uh, Three-fletch. It's a question I get a lot. I I tested around with some four-fletch. I didn't really care for them. Um, Maybe I had something set up wrong, but it was just to the point where I'm like, okay, I tested it enough. I don't really feel comfortable with it. I'm going back to three-fletch, so I'll be a three-fletch forever.
0: Yeah. And whether this is accurate or not, uh, I'm a four-fletch guy, uh, and... In wind out west, supposedly four-fletch is supposed to perform better. Um, it's also supposed to uh, stabilize the arrow in flight better because of the drag on the back end. And it may slow the arrow down a little bit, but I feel like that's giving me more accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so that with, so my, you match that with the, the I, I shoot a day six arrow. Love that company. Love that uh that arrow. And you match that with a four fletch and then a wasp broadhead. Man, I feel like there's times where I feel like I'm shooting a crowbar down range because it it's just it just In a good way, like though, yeah, right? in a good way. Like it's just whoom, it's going. And this past year, along with it's the first year I've ever really stopped and paper tuned and and uh, did cam timing with uh, a bow technician at Shields in uh, Coralville, Iowa. We we took one day where we did all that stuff, and my bow was money. It's the first time yeah. I've ever had. You ever you ever hear just to hear a well tuned bow, and it's just like and yep. it's. The bow just sounds tight and it sounds efficient, and so I had that this year. And a lot of that has to do, I think, with not only the the tuning to the arrow, but the the arrow setup itself as well. And so I had everything really working for me, and I believe that that is that's very important.
1: That's a great feeling when you have that bow, oh, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and it's like you can just pick the bow up. I've been shooting a lot, just about every day recently, and. You know, I just go down my hunting room, pick my bow up, get my arrows, get the quiver or whatever. And I'm just like, I just know I'm going to go out there. And from 20 to 90, because with tack coming and everything, yeah. I'm like, I am dialed. Like, yeah. I can kill anything right there if mm-hmm. I need to. Like, I love that feeling.
0: Yeah, yeah. You feel dangerous walking into the you woods. Do. You, and, and, you do. and I tell you, it kind of comes back to that confidence that we talked about, man. Like, when you walk into the woods and you go, today is a bad day to be a deer. Th- that makes you just a better hunter, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, you're at the moment of truth. You're just like, this guy's dead or this. And I, I haven't reached that com that, that type of comfortability or uh, comfort, I guess you would call it until the last maybe five years. It, it took me a long time and gear has a lot to do with it. So, um, what, what heads are you shooting now? What'd you say for a head? I shoot
1: a Helix broadhead, so it's uh um it's just a fixed blade right bevel single bevel mm-hmm. head. Uh they they've been around for a long time. Um the F J two is just you know, a single one blade, you know, and then let this this past ATA they launched uh F J four, which has bleeders, which mm-hmm. I shot those with the, the prototypes last fall. I shot two deer with them. Man. Yeah. Just ridiculous. I think they're even more accurate than with the bleeders than without the bleeders. Yeah. And you get more blood with them, man. I I I have a broadhead I'm going to shoot for the rest of my life. I yeah. really do. Uh you know, and they do work with the podcast and everything like that, but honestly, I sh- started shooting them because they reached out. I was I'm good friends with the marketing director and they he was like, "Hey, do you want to shoot some broadheads for this year and try them out for us?" because it was a new thing for them. I'm like, "Sure." didn't no partnership or nothing for that first year. And I'm like, okay, I'm on to something here. Like yeah. let's, let's do something. So yeah. yeah, that's, that's the head I shoot.
0: It was in 2000 and what year was it? It would have been 2005. I got my finger cut off. I got money from insurance. And so when I got back to Iowa, after moving back there from Alabama, I went to Shields and I bought a brand new Bowtech tribute. I brought bought arrows, and the first uh, when I when I would call an official first upgrade because I was shooting like some hand me down bow, uh, some bear or an Oneida. <laughs> I used to shoot an Oneida. Um, nice. The first pack of broadheads I ever bought with my own money was in two thousand, late two thousand five or two thousand six was Wasp Jackhammers, and so that's a made in America head and. I have killed so many deer with that head, that specific head, more than any other broadhead combined, uh, and it's just something that the blood trails that I've had, the just the straight damage that it does on marginal shots, and that's really what it what what it comes down to, in my opinion, is you take your arrow and you or your your um, broadhead and you take my broadhead you put it through the lungs or the heart dead animal the true test of a good broadhead comes when you gut shot it or ham it or you know is that broadhead doing a ton of damage on marginal shots and if it's slowing the deer down or stopping the deer with that marginal shot that's a good broadhead to me
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and i did test that out (laughs) not not on purpose by any means not on purpose i shot a deer in in 2021 no um yes 2021 i'm sorry and i hit him back and i got shot him and um he never it took me a while to find him but i did find him and he you know it was it was a big ordeal but it it performed the broadhead performed um i shot another deer that earlier that year uh completely full frontal Mm -hmm. And with my arrow set up, like I told you, it was 470 grains with 125 grain head, um, 28 inch draw, only shooting 65 pounds. I shot him right in the chest, you know, right. Like and came down and the arrow had six inches of the arrow. When I, when I walked up to him was, was sticking out between his legs and went through the whole cavity, Yeah, you know? And right then and there, I'm like, that was a 200, 240 pound deer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right then I'm like this thing is ridiculous and that was only the that was only the single blade it wasn't like the you know the the bleeders yeah yeah this thing is ridiculous
0: and that that's what my true testament came in 2018 for and this this is not necessarily about broadhead but heavy arrow and in heavy arrow plus fixed blade i don't know if i would have got the penetration on a mechanical probably just based off you know, physics. No, I wouldn't have, but I, I had a boss, th- uh, four blade on, um, that's my fixed blade of choice. And so I drew back and I hit the deer. It, it was in his ham. Cause he was hard quartering away. It was, it was a shot that you, you know, like I, we talked about it last, last time. I'm pretty aggressive on my shot, but it is a shot. I probably should have rethought about taking mm-hmm. my arrow saved me on that though. So, I was able to shoot the deer, go through the ham, go through all the guts and go pop the diaphragm. I think I hit very low uh opposite side lung and it came out his armpit. And so another mechanical with my 2021 buck similar to you, I shot right in the chest and it was a mechanical and so I had a huge damage there and I had I see I shoot a 32 inch arrow I believe it believe it is wow yeah I think it's 32 I mean I got a 30 I got a 30 inch draw so I you know so it's a 32 inch arrow and so what is it 30 yeah 32 inches and I think four inches were sticking out I got 28 inches of penetration with that mechanical and that arrow set up And that was another time where I was just like, damn, like, I I know I'm, I I know I'm shooting the right, the right stuff right now.
1: Right. Yeah. And that just goes back to the confidence too. When you, when you see that kind of stuff, it's like, man, you almost feel a little invincible. Like I feel a little invincible, like I could, and it's almost, almost, uh, too, too, uh, a fault because Mm -hmm. it's like you might start thinking like i can start pressing the envelope a little bit i can take just any shot i want well you got to do it within reason too you know you don't want to be taking shots straight straight up the old hind end or anything like that but um i mean do it do it with what you have confidence in but don't overstep thinking that you're uh uh invincible as far as like taking very marginal shots yeah you know
0: yep absolutely another thing that I went, and there's no test that I've done. It, again, it's confidence. I went from a cable-driven uh, rest to now I'm shooting a vapor trail limb-driven rest. And I think I'm getting way better accuracy with that, with a limb-driven drop-away rest than with the, the cable-driven that I was shooting previous.
1: Yeah. I, I used to shoot the vapor trail, uh, limb driven. I've, I've still got one on my, my, another bow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's a great rest. Honestly, it's very easy to tune. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to work. I guess the, if I had any, I mean, it's full capture as well, mm-hmm. but, uh, if I have any, any beef on it and this is not much beef is on like a spot and stalk kind of thing, my arrow will still move,
0: move around, around a quite a bit. bit. Yeah.
1: Quite a bit. Yeah. Now with my QAD, Um, It doesn't move around as much, Mm -hmm. but it still does. But like I said, go back to that, like, you know, I have had on that vapor trail on like a spot and sock situation, have it ding around and hit, hit the bottom of my sight. maybe on my, on my QAD. I haven't had that issue. That's not why I switched. I honestly, reason why I switched is because I had the vapor trail set up on one bow and I had a QAD on another bow and I just started using the QAD. They're both really good rests.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I get one hundred percent what what you're talking about. I just put my finger over top mm. of the arrow when I'm yep. when I'm stalking, but I yep. I, I know exactly where, what you what you mean by that. And so, when it comes to price, here's here's how I approach it. If if I was in golf, if I was a golfer too, or if I was shit in stamp collecting, or <laughs> or what, whatever the the extracurricular activity is, and and hunting, then I would have a split budget, right? And so I would have to be very cautious of what I spend if I'm if I am personally going all out into different categories, and I'm a you know hey I'm a golfer and I also like to go to baseball games and I like. I don't do shit ex- like I don't want I shouldn't say I don't do I don't want to do shit except go hunt, right? Mm. We go on vacations and things like that. But but what I'm getting at here is those Day 6 arrows, they in my opinion they are the best arrow that is made in the in the industry. That and that's that's uh th- they don't sponsor this show at all. They don't do they don't do any sponsoring I I don't think. And they're they are probably some of the most expensive arrows as well on the market but i look at that and i go it's my only thing like hunting is my only thing so i want to have the best equipment for uh, what i can afford right back in the day if i was you know 26 year old version of me i wouldn't have been able to afford that it would have been out of my price range but now i make the money i make enough money they last me a couple years and i'm I'm confident in them and so i'm the type of person who pays more for confidence and mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff so i look at some of the prices and how people break it down like i don't feel like i feel like especially in the hunting industry that price does reflect quality
1: i agree um definitely i agree i will say talking about the arrow thing um i think one of the one of the best arrows for like a budget arrow I would call is a gold tip, like mm-hmm. XT hunter arrow. You know, I've shot those things forever. Mm-hmm. Um, not that expensive. They work really well. Um, I, I don't have any affiliation affiliation with gold tip, but that is like a good budget arrow, but I agree. Like y- you're going to get what you pay what you pay for. And honestly, since I started the podcast, like the podcast can fund a lot of my mm-hmm. like equipment that I need yeah. or, or, or I'm trying to use. So it's a little easier for me to buy things now uh, than just using like the family money. Yeah. But I will say like, I'm, I'm, I squeak when I walk, I'm so cheap and yeah like i'll bitch and bitch and bitch about it like man i i could figure out reasons why i need that but i'll bitch and bitch and bitch bought for like three weeks then it's like all right just like the card and then i'll yep. buy it you yep. know what i mean and it's like and then it's like why don't you just have the mentality of buy once cry once and that's kind of where i'm getting to is like yeah. you absolutely. can really find find a uh, a use for it and really it's gonna help me buy once cry once i'll buy it
0: yeah absolutely um you know, and and that's why I, I I feel like the the message when it comes to gear is very simple. Find something that you're comfortable with it with. Find something that is in your budget. I'm me and you were both cry once buy once type guys. Um, outside of that, man, it, it shouldn't be stressful to go be buy hunting equipment and and right. and figure out what bow you should buy. It should be fun. It's the process yeah. for me is fun. Like I like going and shooting bows and going, Ooh, what's the difference between this one and the other one? What's, you know, all this stuff. And so I, I, like I have fun in, uh, in the process. I enjoy that type of thing. I don't, I try not to stress out. I, however, I did stress out. I was stressing out like, do I buy this e-bike or not? What do I do? do I, like, <laughs> should I get this okay, e-bike?
1: Let me, I... let me stop you real quick. Yeah. Are you going to, are you going to
0: talk shit on e-bikes? <laughs>
1: No. Okay. Okay. Then I want an e-bike, but I will not spend the money for an e-bike. An e-bike will get me in areas I can. I can tell you ten pros that to one time that why I need an e-bike and how it will help me. I will. I refuse to pay the full price for an e-bike.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna say something to you right now, and then I'm gonna stop talking. Okay. When I went to South Dakota this year. I usually either hike a mile in, set up camp, then hike another mile or mile and a half to a glassing spot and set up, or I walk a mile in from my truck or however, you know, usually the miles, the cutoff or maybe a mile and a half somewhere, then you set up and then you go can go a little bit deeper. Dude, I went in six and a half, almost seven miles with my e-bike in the same amount of time it took me to walk one, maybe two miles, it is, it is worth it, but you got, uh, the, the the caveat there is you got to make sure that the land that you want t- to hunt on has certain, like what the rules and regulations are for e-bikes, Okay, right, first right. and foremost, yeah. but the benefit of them, especially on my, my new farm that I had in Iowa, deer, they, okay, the. Access to the main part of the farm is through one gate. And when I would walk in there, the deer on the ridge would see me. When I drove my e-bike in there, they just went like this. They just looked at me, and then they went back to doing what they were doing. And it got me the opportunity to get in without spooking deer. And, dude, dude, it, it's worth Okay, it.
1: tell me this, though. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Now, this I, is where I'm at with it. Okay. Okay, so an e-bike, let's just say modestly you're going to be spending like 3 grand for a bike, okay? Yes. Now, I get it. It it has, you know, pedal assist and all that stuff mm-hmm. and you don't have to pedal as much. I understand that. I have a really nice pedal bike, mm-hmm. like a mountain bike, okay? Yeah. I was going to go down the road of decking that thing out with everything I need with racks, uh, you know, everything. So the only, only benefit I don't have is the motor. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't mind pedaling. My thing is, and what I could be doing is like you said, like my, one of my farms, we have to pull in like halfway to the farm and I blow a lot of deer out. Mm -hmm. I'm saying park at the road and bike back. So tell me this, if you had a pedal bike and did the same thing, would they, are you saying because it's an e-bike, they do that? Or would a pedal bike be the same thing?
0: A pedal bike would give you the same, the same result as far as spooking deer is concerned. Yep. Okay. The only issue is I'm not pedaling six miles back. It would actually, it would actually be harder to ride a bike than to walk that six miles, because you're going like yep. this. You're probably having to pick your bike up at times um, to or push it up a hill. When the e-bike, I just, I, I pedal, and then the motor helps me, you know, assist me. The pedal assist, right? Yep. Uh, I have to disconnect the throttle when I'm on public land, because then, then it becomes a higher class of bike. And then it's not a; it's considered a motorized vehicle. But when you disconnect the the throttle, then it becomes a bicycle. And so as long as long as you are putting in effort, then the motor kicks in. You're still putting in the uh, uh, effort, and then under the law, it's still considered a pedal a pedal type. I got you. bike. So whatever.
1: Yeah, and I for me, I would go spend. 200 bucks on accessories to deck up my mountain bike then and i could do that 10 times to equal that three grand right (laughs) you know so that's where my head was at right
0: Uh, i full disclosure i also have a really good friend who works at the e-bike company that i bought it from and so i got a 50 percent employee discount (laughs) so there's that too right yeah so there's that um so anyway i'm telling you it, it's a, it's. I used to be that guy years ago, or like I'd see a I'd see an advertisement for an e bike. I'm like, who the hell can afford an e bike? Yeah. Like the the twenty yep. tw- late twenties, early thirties year old version of me, and now the benefits of it are are huge. So, uh, it that. the downfall not cheap, the upfall everything. So, um, I just have to make sure I don't get too fat so that I can I don't break the weight limit on it things like that so uh um other than that any other tips tricks tactics thoughts about gear no
1: I, i'm just gonna reiterate just you know the confidence find yep. stuff that you have confidence in. and then for instance like i have a release i've been shooting for 13 years yeah and everybody else is shooting these nice thumb buttons and back tensions mm-hmm. mine literally is a true fire uh like hardcore buckle fullback yep. and the thing is dependable yeah like it's, it's stuff like that. It's not sexy by any means. Mm-hmm. You, you, you walk up to a line, you're shooting next to guys at a 3d course. They're going to look at you like, why aren't you shooting the aluminum UV, like shoot it self release. Well, cause I don't need to spend $800 on yeah. <laughs> release and this one works fine. Yeah. So use, find out what is, you know, best for your confidence, get stuff that simplifies it for you and mm-hmm. uh, have fun.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, my man. Well, appreciate uh, another talk here on the fall sessions. Man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good, Dan. And there you have it. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Hunt Stand, uh, Woodman's Pal, and Huntworth. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day. Huge shout out to my kids. Huge shout out to my wife. Huge shout out to the United States of America. Um, Good vibes in, good vibes out. And we will talk to you next time.